I just wanted to, I want to uh, highlight that his generosity is most clearly seen in the giving of his son. And that informs all sacrifice, doesn't it? Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his neighbor. Jesus is the, is the one who informs that. However, on earth, we get little glimpses of that. And in, in no way to glorify war, I do believe there is a biblical merit for a just war. But today in our country, we, we, we remember, actually it's tomorrow, but we remember Memorial Day. So beyond it just being traditionally the first day of summer, even though I know it's not, but this is kind of summer begins after Memorial Day. I think we can just pause for a moment, first of all, Does anybody in here have a a relative that has actually given their life uh, in combat? I'm not aware there are. If you are, just wave your your hand at me, okay? I know my brother uh, fought in Vietnam and very nearly gave his life. He was uh, shot down twice, and uh, I'm so grateful that God spared him. And uh, I do have friends that are no longer here. And uh, I'm reminded as well, uh, Dave Harvey, who's one of the men on the leadership team, his son is a friend of mine. His son's name's Tyler Harvey. He's actually visited here. He's on his second or third tour in Afghanistan right now. And he's way, way out there. Uh, he's training the Afghani army. And uh, if you know anything about the military, that can often be the most dangerous mission because your support, your firepower, your well-trained troops are nowhere near you. And you're trying to train a, an army. You don't speak their language. And so... I just thought, you know, uh, Christ is our sacrifice. He gave his life for us. No one, nothing comes close to that. But every giving of a life for a just cause, every laying down of a life, uh, really should point to Christ, I think. So in light of that, I'd like to just pray. I'd like to pray for my friend Tyler, who's out there all alone. Um, I'd like to pray for his family, his mom and dad. I know them very well. Dave and Kim Harvey. And then just, just pray for the families that are grieving today that don't have a young man or a young woman. And oftentimes it's the very young who, who perish. They're not here. They won't be at the next Thanksgiving dinner. They won't be there at Christmas. So, hmm. that's why our hope is in the resurrection of Christ, is it not? Death is an enemy. Christ has overcome that enemy. So in that... Let's pray, and we'll pray for the message as well. Lord, I'm, I'm keenly aware, just moved again. You gave your life as a man. Yes, as the Son of God, as God, but you gave your life as a man. You, you died. Um, you, you looked that enemy in the face. You bore the penalty, ultimate penalty of sin when God the Father said, the day you eat of that, you'll die. And Man dies. We die. That is our lot. But, but you came. You died as a man. So thank you for dying for us on the cross, those of us that, are, that know you. Thank you that you, you rose from the dead, O oh, Father, by your power, this indestructible life, the power of the resurrection, resurrected Christ. It gives us hope to overcome sin and death. What a hope. 
Lord, I pray for that hope for those who are grieving this Memorial Day. For a loved one that's that's no longer there. If they don't know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and the ultimate sacrifice, Christ. Um, Pray for Dave and Kim Harvey as they trust you with their son, Tyler. Lord, I pray you keep Tyler. He loves you. He knows you. Lord, even now, just please keep my friend and bring him back. Keep all those that are there. We do pray that in light of your sacrifice, your death, your resurrection, you would anoint now. Father, pour out your spirit whom you have sent to give us light. Enlighten us to this passage. Give us attentive ears, open ears, hearing ears, attentive minds, and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 to 14. Ephesians 5, 7 to 14, the the title of this message, which is in our series, The Church Called in Christ, Conformed in Community. The title of the message this morning is Transformed by the Light. Transformed by the Light. And so Ephesians 7. How about Ephesians 5, since Ephesians doesn't have seven chapters? (laughs) Ephesians 5, verses 7 to 14 is the text. Ephesians 5, 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, the them there is speaking of the sons of disobedience in verse 6. The therefore kind of points backward. So it says, don't be partners with the sons of disobedience. Two weeks ago, we learned about the sons of disobedience, what they do. Um, So don't be partners with them. That's what it's saying there. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Verse 8. For at one time... You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and this is probably an ancient hymn of the church, probably informed by several texts in Isaiah, but this is a hymn they would have sung. This is something that they would have believed and and, and declared together. Awake, O sleeper. That sleeper there is a metaphor for death. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What a text. What a text this morning. And and as I thought about the the main point of the text this morning, it's, it's this light and darkness contrast. It's coming out of darkness into the light. I, I thought of of a story that I I had read recently, and and Bentley helped me find it again on the internet, about a a gentleman named Virgil, a 50-year-old man who had been virtually blind since early childhood. You see, he had thick cataracts and was also said to have retinitis pigmentosa, which is a hereditary condition that slowly eats away at the retinas. But... 
Virgil's new doctor doubted that he had retinitis pigmentosa, and so he removed the cataracts, and behold, Virgil could see. The entire office was in tears. It was the first time that Virgil had seen, had sight for over 40 years. Virgil's family was so excited, they were crying, we can't believe it. The miracle of sight restored. Incredible. But the following day, they posted the following remarks. Problems. Trying to adjust to being sighted. Tough to go from blindness to sighted. Have to think faster, not able to trust my vision yet, like a baby, just learning to see. You see... Virgil's sight was largely restored, but seeing, looking, wasn't clear yet. It was far from natural to him. He still had many habits, many behaviors of a blind person. Virgil needed to learn how to walk in the light, and so do we. Because like Virgil, we were blind. That's one of the metaphors of not having faith in Christ, being an unbeliever, being lost. You're blind. We were in darkness. But God has transformed us into the kingdom of light, his kingdom. But man, do we need to learn how to walk in the light, don't we? I mean, we could say, miracle, incredible. And the next day we go, problem. Hard to make things out. Gotta think faster. Don't really recognize what I'm seeing. So the main message this morning, after so many chapters in Ephesians about the fact that we are in the light, different ways of saying we have new life, the main message is we must now walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And the first point is logical of the passage. Why should we walk as children of light? Because point number one, you are light in the Lord. I mean, that's the indicative fact. This is the truth about us. Look at verse 8 of Ephesians 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is it's not just the fact that we were darkness, like in darkness. No, 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 no. No, we were darkness. And now we are light. I want you to get that. It's not just that, oh, I'm in a dark room. Like if, like if, if this room, if the lights were all turned off, We would be in darkness. You would all start pulling your cell phones out and turning them on so you could see what's going on, okay? And then we turn the lights on. Great. No, 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 no. We were like Virgil. We were darkness. There was no light that could be turned on. And God made us light. Now, I want us to pause for a moment on this light-darkness motif, this light-darkness contrast. And I want you to turn to John 1, Verses 1 to 5. John 1, 1 to 5. This is John writing, and he writes these words about Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
This is speaking of Christ. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, what John is doing is he's pointing back to Genesis, Genesis 1, and he said, and when God said, let there be light. Because the first creation was in darkness. God brought light through what he said. Now we, in the second creation, we have to be recreated because darkness spiritually came through sin. And the Bible story is how God is redeeming us. So the second creation, we are, we are being recreated. We are being born again in Jesus. So John says, let's start with the first creation because Jesus comes like that, only greater because now we have spiritual darkness and he speaks into that spiritual darkness. Light. And, and John says that the darkness doesn't overcome the light. I'm going to say it this way. The light overcomes the darkness. Transferred, transformed by the light. Dude, light beats darkness every time. Again, I could prove it to you. If we turned off all the lights in this room and it's dark and darkness going, yeah, I won. If you just had one cell phone and go click, ha the light just won. Light transforms darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And let me just read another one. Just flip John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Jesus himself, bearing testimony to himself, John 8, 12, says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So now back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 to 14. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, listen, you, are, you used to be darkness, now you're light. Here's the implication. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Our behavior must conform to our new identity. That's the point here. This idea of walking as children of light. I, I just I want you to understand something. We're not going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about the indicative that you are light, but you are. Review it. Take these passages and go and look up these light motifs. Look at Genesis 1. Look at John 1. Look at John 8. And just understand. Look, look, see who you are. You're light. You're no longer darkness. But the problem is, like Virgil, we have so many habits of those who used to walk in darkness, don't we? It's like the the grass with the weeds. There they are. It's tough for us. So that leads us to point two, and really this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. We are light in the Lord, but we must walk as children of light. We must walk as children of light. Oh, friends, God has transferred us from darkness to light, not just out of the realm, but we were darkness and now we are light in Christ because Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He is a light. And so we now are light because Christ is in us and we are in him. So we're no longer to walk as children of darkness, but as children of light. And what does that mean, Al? What does that mean? So, so verse 8 says, you, you were darkness, now you're light. Walk as children of light. What does that mean? Well, verse 9, 
helps us understand that. Look at verse 9. We're back in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here we have God's nature, really. The goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the truth of God. We're in the light. We're no longer in the darkness. Our father is no longer Satan, who's the father of lies, but God who can never lie. No longer the father of darkness, but God who is light. No longer the father of hatred and bickering and arguing and all the stuff we used to do and sometimes still do. Uh, But now we have the father of reconciliation. He's love. We've got to learn how to walk that way. I just, want to, I just want to talk to you a little bit about this whole thing, this verse 9. What is good and right and true? I think we can say the following. When it says the fruit of light, I think we can say this is, this is probably, Paul's probably thinking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Same author, Paul, inspired by the same Holy Spirit, wrote Galatians. And remember the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians? I think he probably had this in mind when he wrote this. This, this the fruit of light is found in good, right, and true. I mean, that's sort of a summary statement, but, but he drops into Galatians and he tells us the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Goodness is in there. We see good here. God God has now given us a a new mission in life. Earlier in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we were saved for good works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. We're to walk in the righteousness of God. I believe it was Corey who preached this one. Ephesians 4.1, walk according to the call. Walk worthy of the call. The call is in righteousness. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. And truth, we're to walk in truth. Remember earlier, it says stop lying to one another, but rather speak the truth to one another. Goodness, righteousness, truth. They're all the fruit of God's creative activity in us. He created us in that. We couldn't create ourselves in that. And as light in Christ, we have these things. They're part of our new nature But we must remember the tension between God's divine initiative and our human response. You see, we have these things. What's completely done is done, but he's completing what's completely done. Did you catch that lyric? That's a beautiful poetic way to say it. God is completing what is completely done. It's another way to say, I've been saved, justification. I'm being saved, sanctification. I will be saved, glorification. I have the righteousness of Christ. That's my foundation. That's my stance before God. But I'm having to work that out of my life because I need to change. I've got to learn how to walk in the light. Maybe an example from my life might help you. I preached a message a while back about how God changes us and how out of our mouths we should speak things that are blessings. We should, we should speak things that are, that are right. And what I was preaching was um, there in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, 
that it may give grace to those who hear, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, verse 31, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So I preached that. Man, while I was preaching it, my mouth was speaking all those things. Glory to God. I am in the light. The light's in me. Everything was great. Until. Until. Until I invited some folks over and for lunch that afternoon after I preached that wonderful message. And um, so, you know, we were, we were having, having uh, some wine with our lunch and uh, opened the bottle of wine and, and it was rancid. It was bad. So put the cork back in there. I said, eh, no problem. I'll, I'll just go and I'll get a refund. So that afternoon, I, I had to, you know, was doing something, whatever. I went to get the refund and standing in line. And I remember thinking, it just occurred to me as I stood in line. <laughs> now, Al, if they don't give you a refund, remember what you preached this morning. <laughs> well, old Virgil went back to his blind ways, okay? Because I had, <laughs> suffice it to say, if you would have heard me that afternoon, you would have thought, hmm, that's not gracious or kind or didn't cuss at anybody, okay? Didn't even raise my voice, but I, I failed. I went back to the ways of a blind man. So does that help you? We, we, we got to walk in the light. God is saying you are light and you have to learn how to walk in the light. See, that, that's, that's, what, that's what God is saying to us here. So what does it mean to walk in the light? If I am these things, these things define me, goodness, righteousness, truth. What does it mean to learn how to walk in them? Well, look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says the following. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so if you're asking yourself, what does it mean to walk as children of the light? Well, I think the first point, the sub-point here, A, is that we discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, how do I discern what is pleasing to the Lord? I believe the way we discern what is pleasing to the Lord is through His Word. Through His Word. Through His Word. So, to jot this down, Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. just so happens that Paul wrote Romans as well. So he might have been thinking about this. He might have been thinking of this very passage when he wrote this. By the way, you should do this when you're reading Scripture. You should ask yourself, who's the original author? We know God is the author, but who's the original human author? Who was his original audience? What was his original intent? Actually, was God's original intent through the original author, original audience? And then start wondering, well, I wonder when that author wrote something else. And I wonder who's, when that audience was. And gee, I wonder when Ephesians was written, Romans was written, and Galatians. And I wonder how they fit together. And how did Paul fit all those things together? Because, you know, that, that's the Bible and it interprets the Bible. And so it's cool to try to start learning that stuff. And you see, you see God, what God's heart is here. So look at Romans 12 too. I think it fits in perfectly with Ephesians 5.10. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing, you may discern. See that word discern? It's another thing you can do. Just take the word discern and just kind of jump around. What you want to do is take the word discern and ask yourself, how does Paul use the word discern in his writings? It's a great study. Many things will begin to open up to you. So here we have Paul writing here saying, don't be, tra- don't be conformed to the world. So there's a way that we can be worldly. There's a way you can go to this place to get a refund on the bottle of wine that's rancid that's worldly. Hey, Al, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The word, so that you can discern what? What is pleasing to God? What is the will of God? This is what it says here in Romans 12 too. What is good? Look at that. There's that word again. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Or the perfect will of God. So how do we discern what is pleasing to God? We discern what is pleasing to God through his word. And oh, how we need his word because we're not used to looking that way. Remember Virgil? Sure you do. Virgil was fond of cars. One of his first pleasures after surgery had been to watch them through the window of his house, to enjoy their motions and spot their colors and shapes, their colors especially. Now catch this, but sometimes he was bewildered by their shapes. See, Virgil wasn't used to seeing, so two dimension was foreign to him. He had to learn how to live like a man who could see in two dimensions. He was asked, what cars do you see? One time when he was walking through a car lot. And he pointed to all the cars. He says, now listen, that's a blue one. That's a red one. Wow, that's a big one. Some of the shapes he found very surprising. Look at that one, he exclaimed once. I have to look down. And bending, he felt it. Did you catch that? I have to look down. Bending, he felt it. Why? As a blind man, this is how he saw a car. But he didn't realize, I've got eyes now. I can see the car. But he couldn't make out the dimensions, the shapes. And so we can't make out the dimensions and the shapes sometimes of how we're supposed to act. We're not used to it. Sadly, having walked with the Lord as many years as I have, I'm still bending down to look at the car poking people in the eyes. (laughs) You don't have to touch my face. Just look at it. Oh, that's right. I have eyes. So that's that's what the author here, that's what Paul, that's what God is trying to tell us. I want you to discern what is pleasing to me and the way you discern what is pleasing to me is you look at the Word of God and the Word of God is two dimensional, three dimensional. Man, it is all dimensional. It, it, it fills things out. It, it brings color and size and shape. It, it starts to define my world. Does it define yours? It didn't for me that afternoon. I want it to more. As my mind is transformed, I stop thinking in worldly ways. And the worldly way is, if you want something, you've got to get tough with somebody, particularly in Miami. If you want to get somewhere, you just have to drive like a rude person. I was in Orlando recently for this little mini conference we had Friday, Saturday, and we were just laughing. We were, those of us from Miami were saying, like, people here drive like a bunch of old ladies. Old ladies, please don't get offended at me. I, I'm soon to be an old man. Maybe I am already. Uh, but they just drive slow. It's infuriating. And then someone said, yeah, but at least they're not rude. And I found that to be true. I mean, they, they, they're not. You know, There's a lot of tourists in Orlando, so people are slowing down. It's just, you know, and of course, me... Pfft, 
who abounds in patience. It never bothered me, you know. <laughs> Transform my mind. Okay, I'm getting there. Um, so, so you just think, well, I'm in Miami, so I just have to drive like a demon. You know, I just have to out, you know, duel everybody. If I'm going to get a refund for this bottle of wine, I just have to be tough. My mind isn't being transformed by the word of God. I'm living like a blind man. Where are you? Where are you? You know, you want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Well, just look in the verses that precede the verses that we are reading here. Bentley preached on this two weeks ago. Remain sexually pure. (sighs) Talk about not being worldly. In Miami? I mean, this is radical. I don't know what God's will is for me, okay? Don't indulge in sexual immorality. By the way, that word there is the word porneia in Greek, from which we get the word pornography. How, how should I live? Live as someone who is pure. It's pure. See, a mighty change has occurred in your life, Al. You have been converted, Al. How contradictory it would be, Al, for you to become involved in immorality or in anger or in wrath or in just being rude to somebody. Love is not rude. See, this, this, this contrast between light and darkness, this, this tension here between God's initiative and my responsibility to respond to God's initiative, to be who I am, to become who I'm going to be, to live in the light and not in the darkness, to live as a person with sight, no longer as a person with blindness. I've got another one for you. I've got another one for you. As we're discerning today in our world, what about the issue of same-sex marriage? Are, are you discerning? Do you discern by the word of God that in Genesis 1.27, the essence of man is that God made him. There's a fancy term for that, imago Dei. And he made him male and female. And as we read Genesis, he made them to be married, man and woman. That's what the word of God says. And about a hundred years ago, Darwin came along and attacked that verse. Darwinian evolution attacked Genesis 1.27. And a hundred years later, in our culture, you have over 50%, depending on who's saying what, or certainly some key leaders who are saying, same-sex marriage is okay. Now, without getting self-righteously angry at anybody, because the Bible says don't do that either, okay? Transform. Without posting a bunch of stuff on the web and the Facebook, the Bible says don't do that. But you are firm. You are discerning. You are saying the Bible says this. And my mind is transformed by that. There are many examples, I'm sure, in your life of what walking in the light involves. But not only does it involve living in the fruit of light, all goodness, righteousness, and truth, not only does it involve discerning the will of God through the word of God, but look at verse 11. It also involves, and that's the point B here under number two, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, rather expose them. Let's read verses 11 and 12 here. 11 and 12. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Hey, if you're light, if you're walking in the light, don't partake partake in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. Because it's shameful what they do in darkness. Boy, this dichotomy between light and darkness is just intensifying here. You see, it's a battle, man. It's spiritual warfare. Don't participate in those unfruitful deeds. Well, what are those unfruitful deeds? Well, if the fruitful deeds were the fruit of the Spirit, I think it's very logical and I think it's right. I think think it's actually good scholarship of this text to say that the unfruitful works of darkness are what? Anybody? All right, the fruit of the flesh, the opposite. That's good. The fruit of the flesh. So let's look at the fruit of the flesh. Galatians 5.19. These are the things that we should not participate in, but rather expose sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Oh, fits of anger. You know, I'm, I'm really feeling good about the front ones. You know, fits of anger. Oh, you mean when I'm driving? <laughs> Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Oh, envy. Ugh. Did I tell you that the Lord gave me a 95 Lexus? See, I'm going to update you here. I had a 94, now I have a 95. It's a beautiful car. 112,000 miles. I love it. Got it at a great price. Very cheaply. Runs like a top. You know what the problem with the 95 Lexus is? That it creates, doesn't create, it's already there. It massages the desire for a 2012 Lexus. Now, the difference between a 95 Lexus and a 2012 Lexus is about (laughs) $75,000, which is almost as much as my house is worth right now. And especially when you're foolish enough because someone told you, listen, have your first oil change at the Lexus dealership. Because they do a a, a complimentary, whoa, you guys really think I'm bad, don't you? (laughs) Because they do this complimentary 25-point safety inspection. And it, actually, I had a coupon. It wasn't that expensive. But I just wasn't ready for what I found there. It's like, it's like when you go into the world, man. You're just not ready for what you find there, you know? It's like, I, like I'm staying in my car, in my 95 Lexus. Because, you know, all the cars around me are just worth millions of dollars, you know? And just, I'm just going to stay in here, you know? Like, I don't want to show my face. But they're so kind. It really freaked me out is... Mr. Pino, your car is almost done. We just have to finish the washing and waxing and vacuuming of your car. You wash my car. <laughs> I said, yes. But as I drove off in my 95 Lexus, which I love and grateful to God for, I'm just looking you know, at the 2012s in the lot all around me. So I've got to have my mind transformed by Scripture. Oh, Al, Envy, it's not who you are anymore. You don't live for that. You live for me. You're in the light. I know, Lord, but oh, darkness. In some areas of my life, I live like a blind man because I'm, bl- I'm a blind fool if I give my soul to that. See, these things don't please God. They're not who we are. We shouldn't take part in them. We should expose them. Do you see that dichotomy? I was reading recently a a testimony on the internet of of an Olympian 
who um, was, was interviewed recently. This Olympian will be uh, competing in London. And the subject of their sexuality and their Christian stance on virginity came up. And the said, am I going in and out here or is that just me? No? Okay. The Olympian said, <laughs> I'm hearing things. The Olympian said the following. My virginity is a gift that I, this is now, a tw- I think, 20-some-year-old, okay, mid to late 20s. My virginity is a gift that I want to give to my spouse. But please understand, this journey has been hard. If there's virgins out there, I'm going to let them know it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Harder than training for the Olympics, harder than graduating from college, has been to stay a virgin before marriage. And the whole time this person was talking, because it was a it was a video interview, the interviewer was mocking this individual. I'm telling you, I, I was stunned. I, just, the, it, just rolling of the eyes and just snickering. And I just thought, but you know what? That Olympian, that believer did exactly what the scripture said. Without being preachy or self-righteous, there was a bold stand. Just live the light and let that expose. You don't have to be self-righteous. Yell at people. Hard to do though, isn't it? Hard to do when you're standing in line waiting for a refund and other people are around me. It was a sad moment for me. But may my light shine. May your light shine. Okay, here's our hope. Last point here, what it means to walk in the darkness. A light. <laughs> we, are, we know what it means to walk in the darkness. <laughs> what it means to walk in the light. Light transforms darkness. Oh, that's my hope. That's my hope. That the very light that shines on me, it doesn't just expose sin, it transforms darkness into light. That's my hope. Jesus is the light of the world. He transforms our darkness into light. He comes and he transforms us from darkness into light. His word comes and shines the light of God's truth into our darkened minds. He transforms them from dark ignorance to the the light of the revelation of God. He changes me. He changes me. I believe that's what verses 13 to 14 are saying. Look at 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now catch the logic here, verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, okay, so you catch this? If it's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So you're sinning, you're doing things in darkness, we're all doing things in darkness, and the light comes, bam, it exposes it. And then it says in verse 14, and anything that is exposed, excuse me, anything that then becomes visible is light. Do you see that? So there's a power working here. There's a strength working here. And I believe this ancient hymn speaks to that strength as he's preaching to the church, as he's preaching to the Ephesians who have come out of horrible backgrounds and are still doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. Sexual immorality, lying to one another, slandering one another, stealing from one another. And he's saying, here's your hope, man. The very light that shines upon you is the light that exposes your sin and your sin becomes visible is the very light that then can transform you and does transform you. There's my hope. There's your hope. I've passed from darkness to light. I'm no longer in the darkness. 
And who does this? Jesus, Messiah. You see, this hymn, this hymn in verse 14, when it says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This hymn most probably came from three different texts in Isaiah. I just, I just want to read these texts to you. Just jot these texts to, uh, down because they, they, they speak of the Messiah. They speak of the hope of Israel. They speak of the hope of Alpino today. They speak of your hope that there's light. Jesus is the light, and he doesn't just come to expose and then condemn No, he comes to expose and then transform. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Just jot that down. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is quoted in the Gospels as well, if you recognize this. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has light shone. That's us. That's us. For Israel, that was Messiah. Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. That, that section, arise, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Your dead shall live, your bodies shall rise. For, who, for who dwell, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. That's a messianic hope. There's life. There's only life in Christ. Everything else is death. And then Isaiah 61 and 3. Oh, this is a good one. Isaiah 61 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. As the the glory of God arises upon us, that's Christ. In Ephesians 3, he says, by the riches of his glory, God is going to help us. And as his light arises upon us and he transforms us, then the nations are drawn. This is his purpose for Israel. This is his purpose for the church. This is his purpose for you and me. And he will fulfill his purpose. I'm glad the light shined shined on my sin at that place and exposed it. I'm even more glad that that light transforms it. Jesus Christ comes in the power of his indestructible, resurrected life and he transforms us and he gives us the power to be who we are, a crusty old man. And you know, that whole metaphor of grouchy old men, that's there for a reason. Apart from Christ, we do, we just start to get crusty and it's just, you don't have patience with life anymore. You're just like, I've been there, done that. Don't give me an attitude. I could be your father. I'm not acting like it. I'm acting like a little teenage boy right now, but I could be your father. Just give me what I want right now. But God comes and transforms me into a patient man. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's by the power of Christ and his resurrection, this light shines upon me, and he calls us to shine the light into this darkened world. As P.T. O'Brien would say, instead of being corrupted, he's a a theologian commentator of this passage, instead of being corrupted by the surrounding darkness, believers are to exercise their influence on it. Not by being all preachy, there is a time to share the gospel, but by being the light. 
As children of light, their lives are to shine as a beacon, exposing the darkness around them for what it really is. That Olympian did that that day. And that person may feel really weird and whatever may happen, but they, they were a beacon that day. Some who sit in darkness may be attracted to this beacon, to the light, and God called them. Jacob Walker was the lighthouse keeper in Robin's Reef off the rocky shore of New England. After years of faithful service of minding the light, he became ill on a stormy night and he died. His wife buried his body on the hillside above the shore on the mainland in plain view of the lighthouse upon the reef. Then she applied for and received the appointment as the keeper of the light and for 20 years she carried on alone. Then... A New York City reporter went out to get her story. In the course of the interview, she told him this, quote, Every evening I stand in the door of the lighthouse and look across the water to the hillside where my husband sleeps. I always seem to hear his voice saying, as he often said when he was alive, Mind the light. Mind the light. Mind the light. And across the troubled waters and crashing breakers of our time, there comes another voice to us, a voice from that hill, the hill, a voice out of earth's darkest day, the day of his crucifixion, to us in the darkness and evil of our day. And the message of the Son of God is the same. Mind the light. Mind the light. Mind the light. And because we are light in him, He gives us the power to do that. God calls us as children of light to shine the beacon of Christ into the darkness of our world that those who sit in darkness would see a great light and the Savior would draw them to himself. What that looks like for each of us is going to be different this morning. For some, is moving out of the dark ways of self-indulgent lust, which I would include anger there, bitterness, self-righteousness, sexual immorality, into self-sacrificial love. It's going to take learning how to live in the light. Remember Virgil? What I didn't tell you was that he received his sight right around the time that he got married. And when they took the bandages off, he saw his wife for the very first time. But you know what? It was a very different view for him. Up to that point, he had never seen her. Like the cars, like everything else in his life, he had heard, he had felt, but he'd never seen. Two dimensions made no sense to him. He had to learn how to make sense out of it. He had to learn to walk in the light, what it meant to have sight. And though it brought him great joy, in fact, the, the story is when he, when he saw her, he just, it's just the, the delight, he just burst out in a delightful embrace and, and they just they, they laughed and they cried together. So it, it enriched his life. It was something new but he had to learn how to live that way. And so do we. And so do we, brothers and sisters. We have to learn how to live in the light.
So let's bow our heads in prayer. The worship team can join me up. Lord, I pray that this message would bring hope to those who are functionally walking in darkness. There may be some here in this auditorium who are living secret lives, doing things in the dark that are shameful. They themselves feel trapped. Lord, I pray that you would give them hope that you who are the light of the world, you who shine the light upon us, are the same one who transform us. You don't just expose these things to shame us. You expose them and then you transform them to share your glory with us. One day we will have glorified bodies. One day we will see you face to face and we will become as you are. One day there will be no more darkness, no more tears, no more shame, no more sin. Oh God, in this day, between that day in the future and the day in the past when you saved us and, and brought us into the light. Lord, today when we're fighting with this darkness, when the troubled waters are battering us, Oh, Jesus, light of the world, come light our hearts with new faith, new hope, new strength. Light of the world who came down into darkness, come transform us. Just while you're in an attitude of prayer, I just want to make a couple of appeals. Uh, the first appeal I want to make is if you are not born again, if, if you are not in the light, if, you, if this is foreign to you, but, but God's been speaking to you, I want to make an opportunity for you to respond. And I, I want you to, to respond to the light. Remember, divine initiative, human responsibility. God calls you to repent of your sin, to say, I'm sorry, God, I'm wrong, and to confess Christ as your Savior, as your light. And, and he, He's the one that gives you that understanding. But I just want to make an opportunity for you to respond. And if that's you, I'd like to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you right here in the front as we move into worship. I'd love to pray with you. If you know someone here and you want to talk to them about it, that's fine. But I just I want you to respond. And then secondly, for those of us that we just want prayer in some area, it could be any of these areas. Uh, I'm going to make an opportunity f- to pray. So in a moment, what I'm going to do is we're going to start singing. And uh, I would like the home group leaders that are here this morning and uh, certainly the pastoral team to come up here. And we just want to pray with you, agree with you, that the light transforms the darkness. It changes us. Just agree with you in that. Okay? So if you need prayer in any way, we're going to be up here to pray for you. So why don't you stand? Would the home group leaders come up? Pastoral team, come up here. And worship team, go ahead and lead us in the song that we talked about. Yeah, worship. Here I am to worship. <laughs>